welcome to Bookish at Bethel. I'm Carrie Peffley. I teach in the philosophy department here and also in the Bethel Humanities program. Well, and sometimes people think that Carrie Peffley is Anne-Marie Koistra, but I'm Anne-Marie Koistra, and I teach in the history department, and I really like books, so we're going to talk about books. Mm -hmm. We both love books, and we do sometimes dress alike, so you'll see us in our flannel. We're not dressed alike today, though. But we frequently do, and we both love books, and that is kind of (laughs) why we started this podcast. Because we think maybe some people out there like books, too. So um, although this is sort of geared toward humanities students who are currently taking humanities classes, we know there are some people out there who maybe even took a humanities class but didn't get a chance to read every last word that we assigned in all those books. And so still maybe don't want to read every last word, but are interested right. in hearing some professors talk about those books and maybe professors talking with other professors or who knows who will have mm-hmm. talk about these books. Former students, TAs. Mm coming in and talking about books that they still maybe have reread for a third or fourth time oh. because they've had such an impact on Delightful. them. Delightful. Yes. Or potentially as well, all of us who teach and are in classes as well, I'm sure, have these moments where we think, oh, this book is wonderful, but it reminds me that I would really love to teach this book as well, right. and I'd really like to talk about it, and we just don't have time. Right. And so we're hoping this podcast will allow us to do that. And I usually tell students, okay, I know you don't have a chance to read this this semester, but here is what you should put on your summer reading list. And so this is my attempt to add even more books to your summer reading list by recommending more or having other people recommend more. So today's interview is going to feature Ruben Rivera. He was for a long time a member of the history department. He taught CWC for many years. But now he is the chief diversity officer, so we thought it made sense for him to come in and talk to us a little bit about Martin Luther King Jr. and letter from a Birmingham jail. And so you'll be hearing that for the next 20 minutes or so. We're here with Dr. Ruben Rivera. from the ch- He's the chief diversity officer. Ruben, thanks for coming and joining us. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. Thank you. And we're going to talk a little bit today about letter from the Birmingham City Jail written by Martin Luther King Jr., and uh, Carrie, did you want to start with a question for sure. Dr. Rivera? I'll get us started. So one of the questions we had in thinking about letter from a Birmingham jail, mm-hmm. um, or one of the observations that led to a question, is that CWC and Humanities both use this um, to start off our courses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we wondered if you could comment on why you think CWC and Humanities both use this. Why is this such an important text? Okay, so it's been a few years <laughs> since I've been in CWC, but <clears throat> as I recall, um, it was, since since one of the main themes uh, going throughout um, CWC and the humanities is how have Christians responded to their culture? What were the issues of their day? How did they respond to their culture? What can we know about it? What can we learn? And so we start off with uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail because um, th- it's just so rich. It's an example of what people were dealing with, particularly with segregation. But it's almost a who's who of, um, mm-hmm. of kind of Christian and culture questions mm-hmm. and looking back at the kind of the, the roll call of people throughout the, the ages, you know, have had to respond to difficult issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think I like, too, that uh, he references everybody, as you say, from like soup to nuts, right? Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. Socrates in there, which I appreciate. Yeah. 
Uh, he's got another number of other humanities. Aquinas. Aquinas. Yeah. Oh, oh, I love. Yeah. Right. And then he's got the it's Old one. Testament prophets. Mm-hmm. He's got Jesus, of course, in yeah. there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it is. It's it's a great, too, because he's taking sort of Western culture and actually using it to critique mm-hmm. yes. Western culture, yes. right, in terms of what is not yet accomplished right. and sort of a call to immediacy. I am ask, I'm curious about a related question. I feel like for many Americans... Martin Luther King Jr. has become kind of the iconic civil rights figure. Yeah. So maybe why do you think that is? And then secondly, is it time for a new icon? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to say a couple of things. Um, one thing I, I'm going to say is that Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, really was able to tap into really core faith values in American culture at the time. Essentially, he was saying, are you a Christian? You should care about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but the other thing is, is if we're speaking about today, yeah. I think that in many ways, Martin Luther King Jr. is just easier to love today. Okay. He's dead. Um, yeah. <laughs> one of the ways, uh, so if you look at, for example, the rise of Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. I've heard people say that, you know, Black Lives Matter is just, Christians say that it's just a movement of thugs who are a disgrace to the memory of Martin Luther King Jr. And my mm-hmm. immediate thought is, well, you're being really kind to yourself. I mean, how do you know that if you even lived 50 years ago, you would have been MLK's friend? Right. I mean, if you're horrified by BLM now, mm-hmm. you're assuming you would have been MLK's friend then mm-hmm. and, and marched with him, you know, mm-hmm. to carry the banner of freedom against the dogs and the hoses and the beatings. Uh, and this is one of my examples when I talk about when I talk about the difference between what I call remarkable and unremarkable Christianity, mm-hmm. um, unremarkable Christianity is we, we love the prophets, but only from the safety of historical distance. Sure. Yes. So this is one of the challenges I think we're facing now. It's, it's easier to admire him now. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I and think I think he, he sort of even references that himself. Part of this is this letter is written to white pastors who right. are saying you're too radical mm-hmm. well, why don't we just you know sort of tone it down a little bit right mm-hmm. or patient you know be mm-hmm. patient and he said well that o- patience asking black people mm-hmm. to be patient is essentially saying shut up because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. nothing is actually going to change it's at some point in the game we have to stand up we're going to do it peacefully love is the object integration is mm-hmm. an object i mean in, in in martin luther king jr's earlier times he, he wanted peaceful coalition and relationships right. with white America. Mm-hmm. And I think that resonated more than, than the more violent kinds of, of mm-hmm. things that would come later when, when a lot of particularly more y- younger African mm-hmm. Americans were so well, this isn't really going as far as we thought it was going to be. Um, and we're probably not going to get what we want without mm-hmm. n- something more firm. Right. right. So do you think it's time for a new icon of the modern civil rights movement? And if so, who might that be for you? Who? That's an excellent question. <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to say who. Let me put that you is. on the spot. Yeah, there, <laughs> um, because there are a lot of people doing a lot of good things, and I'm always reluctant to say, "Well, who is that icon? Who is that prophet okay. for today?" Um, but I still, I still, as a Christian, I still very much resonate mm-hmm. with with um, with the approach and the teachings and the Christ-like connection of what Martin Luther King Jr. was doing. Mm-hmm. You have to stand up against injustice mm-hmm. um, and be counted, and it's going to be painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I, y- you start to lose me 
when you know when when I've heard I remember there was a viral a video that went viral when it shows some people marching under the Black Lives Matter and they're mm -hmm. very much in the minority here, mm -hmm. but would say something like uh, What do we want cops dead? When do we want it now? Mm -hmm. So that's when you start losing me. Mm -hmm. um, but at some point in the game, um, there there has to be uh, a sense that we're not we're not stopping right we haven't seen the injustice in fact right. I'm, as a historian i see america as an ongoing experiment right to close the gap between what america says it is and right. what it is right um so I'm, I'm i won't mention any names sure but i still do admire the tenacity and the yeah. christ-like approach that what martin luther king jr mm -hmm. was doing and i think we just we need more of that mm -hmm. yeah well, and I'd say one of the things that I always point out to my students when we're talking about this in an American history class is this is written in 1963. Mm -hmm. And in part, he is pushed in a much more confrontational direction by young people yeah. like the kids who are sitting out in the classroom, uh, the Greensboro Four, mm -hmm. who began the sit-ins, which was right. much more controversial. And the older folks in the movement were like, whoa, we're working mm -hmm. our way through the court system. Right. What are you doing? This is going to completely cause the movement as a whole to cave in because we're not going to get that more um, moderate white right. support. Right. So I appreciate that he could have been one of the more conservative voices, and instead he's energized yeah. by those young people mm -hmm. and the more radical approach that they were seen as taken mm -hmm. in 1960 and says we need to support this and we need to be more confrontational. So. I think what sometimes isn't appreciated about this particular text is that he is himself energized by the more radical mm -hmm. wing of the movement yeah. in 1960 yeah. and the young yeah. voices yeah. in the movement yeah. who were tired of waiting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I think you see that today. I right. Mean, you know, yeah. it's, here we are half a century later. We're still talking about much of the same issues, right. just yes. a different mm -hmm. generation. Um, one of the things I, I've learned as a historian, as someone who is a Latino person of color whose dad was black, yeah. um, is that these questions, I mean, these issues just seem to just morph. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we just find new ways of engaging in the old injustices. And yeah. so you can, that's why for, particularly for younger folks, um, well, not just younger folks, but the assumption is, is you keep saying we're this. Right. Um, but I don't see it. Mm -hmm. right. uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that wonderful uh, documentary, um, I Am Not Your Negro. Yeah, um, I've heard of Baldwin. it. By Gene yeah. Baldwin. Yeah. And there's a really fabulous interview, like in 1963, 65. Mm -hmm. um, and um, he, he, he begins uh, talking about the, the, he's being cornered, you know, to just why, why do we always have to think about black and white? Aren't there right. other ways for human beings? And he just goes through this whole litany. Mm -hmm. You can tell he had done this many, many times. <laughs> he was very well seasoned with yeah. it. And he says, you keep asking me to risk my life, to, to risk my wife, to risk everything right. for a promise and an ideal mm -hmm. that I have never seen. Mm -hmm. Right. And I would say that many people still feel the same way. They're just yeah. waiting for America to actually be what it claims yes. it is. Right. Well, and I think, too, those themes certainly resonate in a lot of other things that Martin Luther King wrote. I mean, people talk about the I have a dream speech, mm -hmm, but they right. don't realize the first part of that is I've got a promissory note from mm -hmm. the U.S. government, right. and I'm waiting for the exactly government right. to deliver. That's right. And Frederick Douglass, a yes. century early, yeah. what to the slave is the 4th of July? Right. Same thing, yep. speech, mm -hmm. like we're waiting for this country to live up That's to right. its That's ideals, right. mm -hmm. which is super fascinating. Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass is saying, look, we're not asking for anything special here. Right. If you see the Negro walking down the street, 
leave him alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just just let him be. If yeah. you just let him do and and, and not oppress mm-hmm. whatever, I, I he says I, I believe that he will survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. is saying the same thing. America, we're not asking anything of you mm-hmm. other than what you say that you are and what right. you promise. We're just asking you. You know, here we have the check that you've given out. We just want you to cash it. Right, right. right. So we've already started to bring up Frederick Douglass. Um, and sort of, uh, we're sort of waving toward other leaders, icons that we mm-hmm. might um, be interested in. So, if students were interested in mm-hmm. reading some other mm-hmm. related material or, or listen to music or poetry, mm-hmm. um, would you have any recommendations oh, related gosh. to Martin Luther King Jr.? Oh, to him specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. I would say there's a wonderful collection of poetry. So if you want to read, there's a whole collection of, 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 of devoted to African-American poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say get that. Um, I would say um, read anything by, um, is it Tanasi Coates? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, Between the World and Me. He's done mm-hmm. some really good things. Um, I would, you know, sometimes when people ask me well, what's microaggressions, and I say, well, read uh, Claudia Rankin, mm-hmm. um, American Lyric, Citizen and American Lyric. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, what I like about those is they put a real human face mm-hmm. on on this issue. So those are some things I would recommend. They're not specific to MLK, but certainly sure. they are mm-hmm. related to what his concerns were and still are. Yeah. So now you're the chief diversity officer at Bethel. What does that mean, <laughs> and what kinds of issues are you trying to deal with, um, either on this campus and the larger community? Yeah. Um, so this was—I should say—this was a job I was not looking for. <laughs> um, I'm—I I love teaching, and uh, uh, when Dr. Leon Rodriguez left mm-hmm. some years ago, mm-hmm. um, President, it was weird because on his going away party. Um, about four or five faculty came up to me and asked if I would do his job. And I'm like, no, why? I mean, <laughs> Leon's leaving. Why would I want to do this? Um, anyways, to make a long story short, Jay Barnes asked me into his office mm-hmm. and said, you're really the only person who comes to mind that I would like to consider doing this. Um, so we talked at great length. I talked to my wife, Anita, about it. And I said, Jay's presenting us with this job. What do you think? And he's like, she's like, duh, of course. Yeah. This is <laughs> okay. what you do. You should mm-hmm. do it. So we had a good conversation, and, and I uh, essentially, with, with a, chief, a Christ-centered institution like mm-hmm. Bethel, a chief diversity officer, officer is all about trying to create um, a sense of community and belonging across the wide diversity. Sure. Um, how people do that is different. Some people mm-hmm. do it through anti-racism training. Mm-hmm. Personally, I felt that hasn't been a great avenue, because if you're in the choir, you love it. If you're mm-hmm. not, you don't. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of what I'm trying to do is, uh, so we are growing in diversity. So that's one thing. That's mm-hmm. been a goal of mine. We, there is no substitute for diversity. We actually need it. Sure. When I first started at Bethel, I was the only Latino person of color. If there were five faculty of color here, I, 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 don't, I couldn't name them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually meet, need more diversity. So certainly the school and certainly the college has grown much more diverse, mm-hmm. literally, in just about the f- last four or five years. But then you need the institutional capacity for diversity to actually work. Because the research is clear, and this is something maybe diversity ministers don't like to hear, diversity actually doesn't solve anything. The initial stages of a community that grows more diverse is usually problematic Mm because we've never known each other. Now all of a sudden we're living together. We're supposed to love one another. (laughs) Most of us see each other through what Chimamanda Adichie called the danger of a single story. Okay. So we need to build the institutional capacity for that to work. So one of the ways that we're trying to do that is to develop, you know, cultural competency across the whole of the school, the ability to dialogue across difficulty and difference, um, and to increase diversity among the faculty and the staff. Um, I have found that if you do those things well, 
um, then diversity actually works. Mm -hmm. We know from the research that if you if you you grew up in a kind of a dominant culture and you teach toward that dominant mm -hmm. culture, the, the 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 students that are not of that of that culture they're not going to thrive. But if you can figure out how to get them to thrive, everyone thrives. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Yeah, so a lot of what I try to do is, is also try to convince people that this is actually Christian work. Mm -hmm. I've spent an enormous amount of time trying to convince followers of <laughs> Jesus Christ that this is actually not a liberal agenda. Right. It's not kowtowing to political mm -hmm. correctness. And I try to move people from, and I'll say this, I'll end with this. I try to move people from, and I've heard this many times when they go through diversity trainings mm -hmm. or things like that. Oh, this is hard for me because it's liberal. And I try to move them away from that mm -hmm. to, oh, wow, this is hard for me because it's biblical. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's hard. So mm -hmm. let's, get, let's, let's get that out of the way. But if it's hard, it's actually hard now, you realize, because it's actually rooted in your values. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. right. So what is on your nightstand right now for uh, reading? Uh, well, right now I'm reading <laughs> some commentaries on the Gospel of John. Okay. Um, I'm doing a lot of reading on um, on kind of the neuroscience of inclusion. It's fascinating. Interesting. Because um, I, I, we've, I've been doing, and a lot of people I know have been doing a lot of work to try to help people to understand their biases and their prejudices, mm -hmm. particularly the unconscious kind. Because yeah. I know that most people, most believers I meet, including mm -hmm. most white uh, Christians I meet, they, they want to do the right thing. They want to sure. be part of the solution and not the problem. Um, but what we discover, you know, from, from years and years of science is that um, bias is very hard to get rid right. of. And most of the way approaches we've tried to do it simply don't work. Right. And uh, sadly to say that bias is not just um, sociologically created and nurtured. It's literally hardwired into mm -hmm. our biology. Mm -hmm. So how do you get rid of that? So we need to have really uh, inventive ways and uh, to me, one of the one of the mo the best ways we can do this is to make sure that however you're doing this work, if you feel called to anti-racism or dismantling racism or whatever, yeah. uh, you need to literally reframe the whole enterprise, and mm. you need to make sure that you're rooting it in the values of the community you're mm -hmm. working with. Mm -hmm. That way, that way, if it's challenging, it's challenging because it's rooted in their own principles right. and their own convictions, as mm -hmm. opposed to feeling like. It's an invasion of someone else's values right. and in the nature of things, a put down of their own. Mm -hmm. sure. That that takes a lot of innovation, a lot of thought. But I've, I've, I've been doing this now for a while now. And now I keep, before it's like pulling teeth to get people to want to do it. Yeah. Now I'm being asked to do it. Yeah. That's wonderful. So it's actually pretty cool, some of the stuff I'm seeing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Sort of reminds me of one of the people we teach in humanities, Tocqueville, mm. and his conversation about uh, observations on American culture and yeah. trying to change mores, that, that changing yeah. a culture is so incredibly difficult. It is hard. Yeah. It's really sure. hard. Well, and there was an Atlantic Monthly piece, I don't know if you saw this, where they had um, gone in and looked at people who had a higher intolerance of things that were sort of disgusting or distasteful. Yes. And those... Folks tended to be sort of vote in certain ways mm -hmm. versus right. people who had maybe less of that sort of disgust factor. Right, so right, right. It's, right. it's, it's hardwired well. into our it is even our voting patterns. It is. Yeah. Now, now for years, uh, because of a lot of the research and um, experience and training that I do, um, one of the things I, I feel that certainly as as Christians that we we need to realize that there's a significant degree about us that mm -hmm. actually has nothing to do with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that there are a lot of cultural influences, the ways that we're hardwired, you know, mm -hmm. um, that there's a lot about us that's actually that I, I know 
I know this is going to sound really arrogant, but I've been doing this for years and mm-hmm. it's consistently true. I know that depending on the, per- the question I ask to the person or group I'm asking it, I already know what the response is going to be. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and when you take people through a process, they come to the, dis- to the realization that their response to con- controversial issue X, Y, or Z has actually very little to do with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, you, and, and you can literally go around the room, mm-hmm. and, the, and, and depending on the question again, um, I, I can literally guess mm-hmm. what political party everyone's in. Mm-hmm. So that only raises the question, so what is influencing us? Do we right, know right. all these other cultural and racial and gender and socioeconomic and educational and political things that are influencing us other than Christ? Mm-hmm. I take people through a long process, and about halfway through it I say, okay, now I'm going to say something really, really radical. You ready? It's not possible for you to only be a Christian. I say that just to get mm-hmm. people's attention sure. and we yeah. process it. And they they literally, uh, we, we go through a process where everyone in the room is literally raising their hand. Mm-hmm. Black, white, man, man mm-hmm. woman, mm-hmm. right, left. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is literally admitting something that is patently unchristlike about mm-hmm. what they think. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then that at least opens the door mm-hmm. in a different way as opposed to the older kinds mm-hmm. of diversity trainings, you know, where like, you know, please raise your hand if you're white. <laughs> every person, every white person here is a racist. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, as an educator, I'm thinking, where can you possibly go yeah. next with that? Right. right. Uh, but in the, in the process we're going through, we simply discover the ways in which we're really not following Jesus mm-hmm. at all. We're following flag. We're following race. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, many, mm-hmm. many other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and everyone in the room is discovering that. And that starts us off on a different, it opens a different kind of door. Mm-hmm. I think that what's sort of remarkable to me just listening, I, I mean, I know Ruben from way back when, mm-hmm. but just listening to you talk about this uh, in light of Martin Luther King mm-hmm. is how you really are steeped in though the the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. even as you're also trying to do this other project, and I think that's got to be very uh, persuasive to a particular kind of audience yeah. that mm-hmm. you are really us- right. using that as a way yeah. to disarm. But anyway, well, we have just been flashed the twenty minute sign, so. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Rivera, you are the right person to have. Yes. Thank, uh, you. thank you for coming. Yeah, and uh, thanks for helping us out with our pilot episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's great. And you've been listening to Bookish at Bethel. Bethel.